0: Last week we started in chapter 4. Chapter 4 verse 1 was specifically about the rapture of the church. John is called up here. That's what the word says. And when John was called up to heaven, he went. Now... John didn't have any supernatural powers where he can fly to heaven. So when he was called to heaven, it was because when God says to do something, he gives you the ability to do it. And John followed the command, come up here. And why would John have been told to come up here if he couldn't? If he wasn't able to come up there, he wouldn't have been told to come up here. Lazarus, come forth. And he came out of the tomb. He was dead. But he came out of the tomb, all wrapped up. You know, and he came out, and then they unwrapped him. You know, so when we consider... God's commands and the things he tells us to do, we can remember that when he tells us something, he wouldn't tell us if we weren't able to do it. And so we uh, read, today's message is titled, Before the Throne. We're going to get an idea of the vision that John had as he goes up to heaven. We're going to start back in verse 1 again so we can read that over again. It says, After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne." And so it begins with after these things. After what things? Well, we're told that the book of Revelation was going to talk about the past, the present, and the future. And the past was the past. The present was the seven letters to the seven churches. That's the present. And I believe the present is still the time that we're in right now because it was from the time that this was written, it'll actually go back to the day of Pentecost, till uh, the day that we're taken up in the rapture. That's called the church age. That's the age that we're living in right now. We're living in the church age. And we will eventually... Either go home to be with the Lord because we pass from this earth on to the next, or we will be taken in the rapture. Will we hear the words come up here? I don't know. But I know that it will happen so quickly that we won't even think about it. Here's, there's no test to what to do in the rapture. You know, uh, there's no, there's no way that we as believers will not know what to do, because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, and when God gives command to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to make everything happen the way He wants it to happen, and we're going to be there. We're going to be in front of Him at that moment. So John saw the door, he said, I saw a door in heaven, heard a trumpet, heard the voice, bam, and he was there in the Spirit. The Spirit of God brings him into the presence of God, before the throne of God. Can you imagine? What an awesome thing, right? So now John is using earthly words to describe a heavenly experience. That's all we have, our earthly experiences and earthly wisdom and earthly knowledge. And if we're propelled into a heavenly location, well, Paul said it was illegal for him even to speak about the things that he saw. it it, it didn't matter anyway if he explained them we wouldn't understand them and i believe the same thing is happening with john he is explaining things but he can only use earthly terms to explain heavenly experiences and heavenly visions that he's seeing so he's going to do the best he can but there's nothing on earth that can compare to what is in heaven So he's presenting this picture of the rapture in verse 1, where he's taken up there, and now he's showing us the first thing in heaven. I believe, personal opinion, I have not found a scripture that tells me that This is exactly what's going to happen, but I believe that this is a picture of the rapture, not just of the rapture, but of what we will experience being taken from the earth to the throne room of God. First stop, meet the Father. What better way to start eternity in heaven? Meet God. Here he is. Here's the one that we have been talking about through the scriptures for thousands of years. And here he is before us. And so John is now in that position right now. There he is. And he's seeing what he's seeing. But he is really representative of all of those who will go up in the rapture. And then he says in verse 3, And he who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And so we're not given he had gray hair with blue eyes. We're not given a picture of a person because Jesus is a person he is a physical body but God the father is a spirit and we who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth and here being elevated before him we're going to see a spirit but how do you describe a spirit well the only way that he can be described is by the light that he's emanating and so here are these stones jasper and sardius that uh, appear now these are two stones that were in the breastplate of the priest okay that and he wore there were the 12 stones of the 12 tribes of Israel and one was the first stone and one was the last stone sardius was the first and jasper was the last stone so here are these stones the jasper um is a clear a clear crystal stone like a diamond okay and that's the first stone or light that emanated from him was this white pure light that came from him the second was the sardius stone and uh, first of all go back to uh, the first stone it was representing the tribe of benjamin okay and benjamin means son of my right hand and so here's the stone the son of my right hand who was the son of god's right hand as jesus And there he is, shining like the stone is representing him. The sardius is a red ruby stone, dark red type stone, like a ruby. And that was representative of the tribe of Reuben in the breastplate. And Reuben's name means, behold, a son. And so when you consider that the red means behold a son, and uh, it's relating to Jesus again, because really it was relating to Reuben, but Jesus, red, blood. And so we're seeing how Jesus has the light of righteousness, shining pure, we're washed white as snow by the blood, by the red, And so the sardius, the red, is the first stone in the breastplate, and the jasper was the last stone. So we start off with the blood. We end up pure and shining like the white, the clear stone. And he also sees a rainbow that was all around the throne, and it was green, green. Couldn't we come up with a better color for that? Well, you know, for us, it would have been something, oh, more colorful and more... But there's a reason for green. Now, I don't know what it is. Many people have speculated what the green rainbow meant, because if it's a rainbow, that means that there are variations of color, because a rainbow has multiple colors. Green is the middle color, in the rainbow. And so really, coming from the throne, having this green rainbow, there were probably variations of it through the the rainbow that was there. But really, God is the center of our rainbow. He is the one that created the rainbow to remind us that he will never flood the earth again. And so that's what they're... Other people have stolen the rainbow. I want it back. But it's going to be green this time. I'm looking forward to it because, you know, it's green. It's translucent green, by the way. And the stone represents the tribe of Judah. Judah means praise. So there's praise all around the throne of God. There's praise. That's a perfect relationship there. Judah, praise, and the emerald stone that's around there. What an awesome sight. And I'm sure John is having a very hard time describing everything that he's seeing. Can you imagine being in that place? You don't have to. You will be in that place. There's going to be a time where you're going to get to be there. You're going to get to see it for yourself. There's one thing I guarantee you won't do. Take a selfie. (laughs) Your phone's not going with you. Okay? But you're going to be in front of there. You're going to be seeing this. And you are going to remember that, for it's going to be etched in your memory forever. And and uh, all of everything that John is seeing, I think, will be done. Remember, John was on the island of Patmos as an exile when these visions came to him. He didn't start writing the visions until he was back in Ephesus, until he was set free. And that's when he actually started penning Revelation. So this was years later that he actually put together his visions. That's how clear those visions are. Of course, the Holy Spirit was reminding him of what he saw. But that's how clear God makes the path. Before us that 's how clear God can illuminate our lives and remind us of what he's uh, There are things that i don 't remember about my youth um, and God being one of them because i didn 't have God in my youth he wasn 't really part of my I had religious studies you know growing up the the nuns and stuff like that i i i did have i have visions of a ruler meeting the back of my knuckles i i do have visions of that but as far as god i don't didn't have until i got saved and then clearly i remember the path that god led me down as I got saved, as I started walking with him, as I started learning about him, I remember and I have a a, a clear mind as to the things that took place. There are still some things that I'm not very clear-minded about because they're probably things that God doesn't want me to remember. My walk didn't start off in perfection. Perfection means complete. Same word. And see, he's started the work back in 1982. He started the work in 81. And he com- completes it the day that I go home to be with him. The work, I'm, I can't look in the mirror and say, wow, 85%. Can't do it. Because I don't know what perfection looks like. I, I I can see other people that I look at and say, "Wow, they're close. They have really matured in their faith, and I could just see the way they walk with the Lord. Uh, that He has done great work." That's not me. Oh Lord, I I don't want to be like them. I want to be like Jesus. Um, you know, but when we compare ourselves to Him, unfortunately, um, we're lacking. But he reminds us, he gives us visions of the things from our past and the things in the future. This is a vision of our future that he may not have given you in your head or in your dreams, but he's given you here by John's word. We can look at history and we can um, read all the writings of the history of... uh, many countries, any country, pick a country, you can read about the history of the country. You can read about our history when we became a nation and the, the leaders, the, the patriots that brought our nation into existence and the documents that they wrote to ensure that we would have the perfect government. And look how wonderful <laughs> it is. We're, we've, we've attained perfection. Um, you know, and see, that's ridiculous thinking that we could do that without God. And now we're on the trajectory that we're doing everything without God when it comes to our government. You know, God is not the focus of anything going on in our government, which is very sad. And so, regardless of who gets elected into office, we're not electing. A theologian to run our country because they would be, you know, kicked out right away, right? Immediately, if they tried to bring any theology into running our country, they would be impeached. They would find some way to get rid of them. And so, regardless of who reaches the positions of authority in our country, it's really not going to change because who really owns the world right now? It's the enemy. It's his world. And Jesus is coming soon to take it back. He has the title deed. We're going to be reading about that in a few chapters, but he's going to come back and he's going to set it right. We're getting the vision of when that, what's going to happen, the sequence of events that's going to happen and uh, what the visions are that we can expect to see. That's what John is telling us here in verse 4. It says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And so here it is, the throne room. It just expanded. He was looking at God, you know, And now he saw the rainbow. He saw the lights. Now his vision is expanding now. And he sees 24 elders now circling the throne. They have their own thrones. And they're old people. They're elders. And so I don't know how age works in heaven. If I go to heaven, I don't want to be an old person. Uh, maybe they're old people that can still, you know, like Joshua still had his strength you know, when he was old. And I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know which golf courses will be available up there. I don't know which bowling alleys will be, you know, I don't know what that's going to, some people have that pictured in their mind. They have like, oh, golf courses and every shot is just the right, shot the, the right the distance you want to go and then you you know you you don't two putt you one putt and you're in the hole and and it, it it's just amazing how boring yeah. right you know that's the last thing that I can I just want to race around on the golf cart can you imagine what a heavenly golf cart would be like uh, that's would be exciting for me everyone has their own vision Of what heaven would be like. I think you're all wrong. And me too. Heaven's not going to be like what we can envision. Because our visions are limited to earth. To earthly things. So if you like bowling. You're not going to roll a 300 every time. You know. Because it's impossible to um, think that. I mean, it's not impossible. You can think it. Hey, if that's what heaven would be like for you, maybe there is a bowling alley for you up there. I don't know. But what I know is we start in the throne room recognizing the author of everything, the creator of all life. And we're there before the throne. 24 elders around the throne. Some people say, who are these 24 elders? John didn't give us names. Some say it's twelve, the, the 12 sons um, of, of the nation, Jacob, the 12 sons of the nation uh, that started Israel, and then the 12 apostles. So which one's the 12th apostle? Is it Matthias? Is it Paul? Who? Who qualified for that last seat? I don't know. Because John didn't tell us who was in that seat. Can it be them? Interesting, interesting thought, right? So in Matthew, yeah, you know, I thought too much about this, obviously, if I'm going to read about something from Matthew and, where was it? Matthew 19, 19. Let's See, 19. Uh, yeah, here we go. 19. Okay. In verse, we'll start back here. The rich young ruler came and said to Jesus in verse 16, Now behold, one came to him and said, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Remember who's sitting on the throne? One. And that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? So, You know, if Jesus told me keep the commandments, I would know. I I wouldn't be which ones. Like, hold on, there were ten commandments. What? Some of them are now not, you know, qualified to be commandments anymore. No, but he knew. And Jesus didn't tell him ten commandments. He said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbors as yourself. So there he goes. He gives them just a few of the commandments. And the young man said to him, all of these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And so basically he said, okay, I've got it covered. I've done all of that. I've reached perfection. You know, really, it's what it, that's the impression I get that he thought that he was now qualified for heaven. What do I still lack? What else is there that I need to do? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, in some churches, the pastor would say that, hey, just follow those instructions, give it to the church, and we'll redistribute to the poor. So go ahead and everyone send your money in right away. And, and that's a doctrine that is invalid. That isn't true. We don't practice the health and wealth and prosperity doctrine. Uh, This was for that rich man. He needed to give up the thing that was keeping him from a relationship with Jesus. The last thing that Jesus said was, and come follow me. That was the most important part, really, of what he was saying. But The young man heard it and he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And then Jesus said to his disciples assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. We don't like to hear that. Because all of us, I don't care how much money you have, all of us are rich compared to most of the world. When you look at the percentage of people in the world that are living below poverty line, it's a huge percentage, and we are living pretty good lives. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? They got it. They understood. Hold on. This pretty much disqualifies everyone. But Jesus looked at him and said to them, with men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then Peter said to him, see, I love Peter because Peter figures out how qualified he is by saying, see, we have left all and uh, to follow you, therefore, what shall we have? He gets right to the point, right? Well, I left it all, I have nothing. You didn't have anything in the first place, you know? And, and so now I left it all and here I am and we're following you, what do we get? Really, that's what he's saying, right? And so Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you, will have, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 thrones. So 12 out of the 24? Maybe. Here's my question. Why didn't John recognize himself? He was one of the 12. So that tells me that he couldn't tell who was sitting on any of the thrones. You know, there are sometimes we see things cloudy. We don't see things clearly because of the time that we're living in, the age that we're living in, and because of the fact we have cataracts. And so we don't see clearly... And when we do see something clearly, it's only because God reveals it to us. And so John is only seeing what God wants him to see. He's only seeing things clear enough to understand, oh, this is what God is trying to show me. So how do we know they're not angels that are around the throne? Well, first of all, angels don't sit on thrones. That's not a position for them. Only humans sit on thrones and they're told they will rule and reign with Christ. That's a true. And, and back in Matthew, that's what it says, that we will be ruling and reigning. Those that follow him, that believe in him, and that are in part of the resurrection, we are going to. To be with him, we're going to be ruling and reigning with him. The word "elders" is never used in reference to angels; it's only used in reference to humans. And so, angels don't age. You know, how, how old does an angel have to be before it becomes an elder? You know, you know. So, it's not obviously an angel, and they don't wear crowns. We wear crowns because we're given a crown. Remember in Revelation chapter 1, we're given crowns and white robes. And, you know, that's what makes us different than, than, than angels. See, angels are created beings. They do the job that they were created to do. But God created us for a purpose, to have a relationship with him to freely choose to follow him so that he knows that we love him and he's pouring out his love on us. That's part of this relationship. That's what God did this for. He gave us free will to decide for ourselves what we wanted. And that's what's going to make us different than every other creation of God. Humans have the capability to recognize that we're in need of a Savior. And he provided that way. So, I'm not sure when Jesus was telling uh, the rich young ruler to give away everything um, and to follow. It was during his ministry, obviously, uh, when he was there. But, Now we see the importance of not placing our hope in what's here on earth because once we get to heaven, it doesn't even matter. It's not even going to come into play. John's attention is now drawn back to the throne in uh, the center in verse 5. And we read, And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And so, here he sees, he gets this picture, remember, from chapter 1. There were seven lampstands that were representing the, um, the Spirit of God. And in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 5, I think it is, talks about the seven spirits of God. And um, I think it's in 1 and 2, actually. And it just tells you all about what the seven spirits of God are. You know what? I don't understand exactly everything because I can't even understand the things that I do know. I don't understand how the Holy Spirit does what he does. I just know that he does. He leads me and guides me and I'm shocked sometimes when he does. It's like, oh, that's what you're doing? Okay. And I'm on board with it. Has that ever happened to you? Has, have you ever read scripture and all of a sudden knew that God was speaking with you? Holy Spirit. And so that's the part of the seven spirits of God that are leading us and, and directing us. And there's thunderings and voices and there's a storm coming. And see, John is just seeing the initial storm coming. It's going to come. He's going to continue writing about it. But we can see the storm coming. We can see. We can look out and say, oh, look, it's gray, and there's actually moisture on the ground right now. Uh, that's amazing. We don't see that very often here. But we can tell when there's a storm coming. You know, and we hear the thunderings, and we see the lightning and And for some of us, it's kind of thrilling; others don't like it very much, but we we go out and watch it, and you know sit in the yard and drink some hot chocolate and 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 we enjoy. Uh, the storms, because we don't get them very often. But here, I think this is a different kind of storm that's coming, the rumblings that are going on. We're not given, we're not told what the details are. We're just being told that it's happening right there before the throne. And then in verse six, we're going to close with this. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. So there's where the term got eyes in back of your head. Uh, you know, you're a creature hanging out around the throne. And and so, interesting, it doesn't say there was a sea that looked like glass. It said there was a sea of glass, before the throne. In the Old Testament, the kings used to put marble all in front of the throne. And they would have this big marble area and they would polish it so that it shone. It, it just reflected the light. It was just amazing. It was impressive. And when you went in before the throne. You didn't even walk on it. Unless you were invited to walk on it. Remember in the book of Esther. And the, Esther the queen didn't go in. To talk to the king. Because she had to be invited to the audience with the king, and there is this sea that's in front of the throne. It's like glass. I can only imagine. I I was in the navy. I went to places where the sea at times had not a ripple in it. It's the weirdest thing that you've ever seen in your life. We're in the middle or on a ship. I was about uh, twenty miles off the coast of some country, and um, we, were, we were there doing observation. And, uh, and the sea was perfect like glass. There was not a ripple in the water. And I went out to the forecastle, point the pointy end of the ship. I went out there, and I was just spending some time with the Lord out there in front of the ship, and the sky was red. It was reflecting off the water. It was just an awesome experience, and I got to see the majesty of the Lord just in a few moments there. And then all of a sudden there were ripples because dolphins were jumping out of the water following the ship as the ship was moving at about 10 knots, nice and slow through the water, and all of a sudden these dolphins were jumping out and I was just having the most surreal experience of my lifetime seeing all of this. Now, before the throne of God and the sea of glass, I don't expect to see dolphins. But (laughs) what I do expect to see is something even more amazing. I just don't know what it is. I I don't really know what's going. And John didn't give us any more details about the sea of glass, only that it was before. I know... That casting crowns are going to be there. Because we'll be casting crowns before the throne. You know why? Because we are not deserving of those crowns. And we're going to be taking those off and giving them back to the one that does deserve. So this is just a glimpse. Some people have the image of what heaven will be like I don't know what the rest of heaven looks like but I was just given a glimpse of what the throne room will be like and I believe that's our first stop on the way to eternity in heaven with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so now that we know that we should live it. We should live a life not focused on the things of the world. Oh, it's okay to have things But don't make them priority in our life. Make him priority because we're going to be there worshiping together. I look forward to that day. I hope you do too. Amen. Amen.